Welcome to the Streamline podcast. My guest today is Simon Field, a producer from Norway and one of my favorite curators as well. I know Simon did not want me to say that because he's very humble, but we're going to get into the production side as well as the curation side. But firstly, Simon, welcome. Thank you, Mike, and happy Christmas. Yeah, happy Christmas. Happy holidays to everyone that's listening. It's um, it's kind of a miracle that I was able to get you at this time of year. It's uh, The music industry doesn't completely shut down, but a lot of people do like to switch off, spend a little time with family, or trying to get their inbox back to zero. So I appreciate you being here. Well, right back at you. I think this was a very good time. Nice and quiet. Really nice. Absolutely. So, Simon, for anyone that's not familiar with you, let's focus on Simon Field, the producer and DJ, first and foremost. Could you tell us a little bit about where you got your start and um, what, what you've been up to? So my my artist alias or my artist name actually came to live about three to four years ago. Uh, before that, I've been producing, writing and playing as a live musician with other people. I've uh, done loads of pop records, loads of hip-hop, actually too much hip-hop, so I got it up to here. <laughs> and um, some years ago, I went into um, to a listening session with some tracks, and the label wanted simply to re- to produce, to release them as they were. And, and I went, we don't have an artist. Well, you can be the artist. So that's how I became the artist. Basically, short story. Wow. I kind of always wanted it because I, I always ended up having the tracks different. Well, the release always turned out different to what I wanted it. So um, I was really happy about that. You know, keep the demo as it is and just release it. So it's a good start. You know, that's really sort of led you to get the attention of not just myself, but many other people out there. Obviously, having a keen ear for production and doing some very strong collaborations with other creators as well, whether it's singer-songwriters or even other producers. Uh, You know, you've really been consistent in putting out that great quality music and kind of skipped over something that I I didn't even know until I was reading about you earlier. You've actually had some placements with your music in film or TV, I believe. Yes, I do. Uh, actually, quite a, quite a bit, and I, that has been kind of my main income up to to a certain point. Uh, it's really well paid, uh, and because I have a big catalogue of unreleased tracks, I could leave that with a publisher, and they would start placing it. Um, and at one point, I got really, really good um, placements after out of that. So, I think the most known show I've been in was um, Californication. Mm. Uh, also been in Hollywood movies like uh, uh, Passengers, Chris Pratt, and a whole lot of other shows, basically. And there's more to come. There's some really nice placement coming up. That's exciting as well. It's um, you know, it's 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 something that I feel like more people are starting to pay attention to now as well. With with access to information that we have today, you know, access to insights on where your music's getting used, where your music could be best suited. I feel like it is, I don't want to say it's becoming easier. You've still got to put in the work, but there's a lot of opportunities out there to find the best place for your music. And uh, whether that is 
yeah. with a film and find and reaching out to try and find a way to get the attention of that music supervisor mm. or you know whether it is uh, somebody that does work in sync and you can see what they've placed previously there's so much information out there that's really beneficial and can help artists to get an understanding of where that music could work are you working with a publisher or are you sort of putting this out yourself this is a long story but i was <laughs> on, uh, <laughs> i was on a writing session in la where i met uh, a whole bunch of publishers uh one of them being a publisher with a small company who later moved to disney as music advisor and now he's in a, a, a new company very small one but he's he's taking care of my catalog as far as film placement is concerned and what I do normally is do a derivative license. So basically, because I own the rights, I rename the track to, to license it to that purpose. So I have to meet myself in court, if anyone. <laughs> Very nice. You know, obviously, we, talk, we talked about the sync across film and TV. Outside of that, you don't just spend your time in the studio. You get out and also put the headphones on and DJ and you do live sets as well. You know, it's funny, just before we jumped into this, we were having a conversation and I do want to get to the curation side, but I'm mm. purposely leaving that till last because I know that that's going to be a very long part of the conversation. <laughs> but you mentioned how a playlist is different to a live set as, as a DJ. I, I'd love you to expand on that a little and talk about some of the differences in what what a DJ set looks like for you or a live set versus a playlist. Sure. So, so th there are definitely similarities and definitely some issues that are very different. So the similarities would be the, the preparation that you, you need a whole bunch of tracks to, to choose from. Uh, you need to pick a style or a mood that you should cover that night um, and that sort of things. A playlist is actually more static than a live set because you need to think about people coming into playlists, think about starting with something familiar so they, they're sure they, they get the idea what this style is about. Uh, whether it's, if you have people in the room, you can go crazy right away just to get their attention with something they never heard. Uh, and also the order, the order of the playlist definitely... It's very similar to what you do with a live set. Um, you need good transitions, good coherent vibes throughout, so so people don't get scared or skip or click to another playlist because any playlist on the on Spotify is just one click away. I, I think you can take more chances live, actually. To be honest, <laughs> you can do more crazy stuff, and you can try try out stuff. The, the great thing about live, obviously, you see that people are reacting to the music. You cannot do that on a playlist. So also with, with, with live, you, you, you need much more songs prepared before the set. So in case the night goes one way or the other, you have to adjust. Whereas with the, with the playlist, you, you just have to stick with what you have. There are things that I've noted, you know, long songs don't work on playlist. In a live set, you can play the drop and go to the next song. And so I, there might be some beautiful drops and parts in some songs that should have been on a playlist, but there are just too much nothing before and after that, you know, yes. stuff that's not interesting to to listen to on, on in a sofa. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned as well being able to actually see live real-time reactions from people as you play a song. Mm. Obviously, if you clear the floor and people start walking out of the venue, you can very quickly put a new song on and get them straight yeah. back. Yeah. With a playlist, your yeah. audience is 
scattered around the world. They're not in one location. It's sunny where someone is. It's cold and wintry where someone else is. You don't know what part of the song necessarily is going to work with different people. So, yeah, it is interesting. You and know, you don't know if people can shuffle or not shuffle or if they start in the middle of the playlist or if they copy the playlist over to, them, to their own library or whatever they do, you have no idea. Exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm, I'm a shuffler. And that doesn't mean I do I do the Melbourne shuffle. That, that literally means when I play a playlist, I put it on shuffle. I assume that every song that's in there is going to work no matter what the order is. You know, even with DJ sets, I don't play as much nowadays, but there would be a folder of music for different times of the night, different vibes. If a different crowd showed up, I would be ready. I would know that I could pluck a song out of that folder and it would work at that time with that yeah. crowd. Absolutely. I was I was just going to say that, you know, I was mentioning Sofa listeners, but I think that kind of takes us into the playlist thing. And, and one, one other thing I, I really consider when I curate for at least my Ibiza playlist is that, that they are, I call them Sofa Clubbers. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I picture this couple, a guy with a girl, and she really wants pop music and he wants club music. That's where I am with with the audience for the Ibiza playlist. But obviously, it's played way more other in other places. But I mean, that's the kind of audience I'm trying to serve. You know, I wish we were in a club kind of audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. One thing you're never going to please everyone. That's why it's important to know your audience as well. You know, it's so funny that everyone tries to curate the best DJ set ever or the best playlist ever, the best mixtape ever, and you're not going to please every single person. So, you know, it's really knowing your crowd. And, I mean, for me, what drew me to you as a curator mm -hmm. is that I knew exactly what to expect when I would go to your playlist or when you would send me a song, and I would know that it would be a deep, groovy vocal, it would instantly transport me to Ibiza or mm. somewhere else in the world that I would very much like to be. A sunset somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's funny how just, just the word, just sunset in Spain mm. in summer, it's like, oh, beautiful. I, I know exactly what I want to hear if I'm watching sunset in Spain. You know, bring on some Cafe Del Mar vibes. It's awesome. So those descriptions are really important and obviously you've got your audience and yeah it's okay with you i'd love to start talking about simon field the curator yeah let's do it let's do it. i guess let's start at the beginning at what point did you become more of a curator and put on the curator hat and create this playlist and and where did that start so it started about the same time as you know i got my first artist record deal more or less spotify asked people and artists to make their own playlists and i thought well that's a bloody good idea i don't have to put out a set, set every month I, I can actually just create the playlist which saves me a lot of time so i switched from making mixtapes to basically doing a playlist i didn't kind of consider that i was getting followers or anything i was just calling it you know the mood that i wanted on this playlist and that was definitely ibiza so ibiza was definitely the kind of home for my music and and i wanted to make a home for my music as well somewhere where i can put you know like a record shelf that was you know imaginary record shelf where i can put my own songs and that that was the whole idea with this playlist and 
it just developed from there as soon as I started to see it was getting followers. It was really satisfying enough up to focus a little and and I realized I got more followers. So I started to put a brand on it, put an image on it, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, and also taking more care of the creation. One thing that I've noticed is it looks very clean as well. I mean, yes, we can talk about the music and the fact that the music works together. We already covered that it works well on Shuffle and all of the music flows nicely no matter what the order is that you listen to it. But the artwork as well, it just looks so clean (laughs) and it really does capture your attention. Was it intentional in the early stages to have artwork that would jump out as you're scrolling through the thousands of playlists not at all i think this 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 image that i've used for this was kind of my image of one late afternoon in what's it called buddha bar outside buddha bar there's there are some cushions like that and i thought oh, that that looks just like that and I'll, I'll use that obviously the font was bigger and i've changed kind of tuned it every year or something and i think a year and a half ago a year ago i added a white frame to make it more clear I've changed fonts every now and then, but it's it's more or less been like that from the start. And I've actually seen people copy the artwork as well, which is, I guess, is a, a compliment. I'd say it's definitely a compliment. I mean, obviously, looking at what you've done, you are, you've done it very well. So it would only make sense that people would take some inspiration from that. Let's word it that way. <laughs> but you mentioned different fonts. To be honest, I, I don't know Photoshop, so I actually use PowerPoint. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so I've, I've had different fonts through the years, but I think this is the one I like the most font, you know, artwork-wise. I never heard of anybody using PowerPoint to create artwork. That is... Oh, why not? I use PowerPoint yeah. for everything. <laughs> you know what? It's really funny. It's, and it's <laughs> templates and it's lovely. Yeah, and you you know what? I mean, PowerPoint is all about having a presentation that people actually want to look at. So it makes sense. (laughs) It's kind of like production. It doesn't matter what you're using as long as you know how to use it and you know how to create what you were looking to create. True, so true. All that matters is the end result. Yeah, true. Yeah, very cool. I hope I haven't been distracting you too much while we've been talking, but we're getting a lot of live comments coming in while we're chatting, which is fantastic. Great to see people tuning in from India, Palm Springs. You know, we may actually do some questions and answers if we get some questions coming in here too. Definitely. Simon, I'm going to take a quick look here because we actually had some questions coming in on LinkedIn on the live stream as well. Mm. We have one question here, which is, how does a songwriter get a placement? Now, obviously, that's a very long answer, but uh, is there sort of any starting points, any resources that we could share? I assume you mean placement in my playlist because everybody treats their submissions differently, I guess? Yeah, you know what? Let's do both. Let's assume that it could be relating to what we were talking about earlier with film and TV sync. And yeah. then we'll then then we'll also discuss your playlist and how people could potentially get music to you yeah, the right good. way. Any advice that you could share for somebody that's never had a sync placement in film or TV, where they could start, perhaps? So, uh, as I mentioned before, my my kind of way into sync was basically luck or accident or or just being you know open to the people I, I met and sent them songs. So I honestly don't know where people should go today to get 
their syncs done or to get, you know, how they should get connection. But I guess basically it's going to conferences, going to any sync meetings that you can pick up or travel and meet people in industry everywhere you can. I, I travel a lot. And I'm, I mean, I do, I travel for co-writes, I travel for gigs, I travel for seminars, I travel for anything, you know, because it's, it's basically being out there that makes the difference. So personal connections by far is the winner as far as sync is concerned. So I just wanted to add to that as well. Let's say you don't have those connections where you have somebody that you can speak to directly. Mm. There are websites out there where you can go online, set up a profile, put your music up, set your price. And essentially this doesn't apply to all of these websites. And that's why I'm not going to start listing them, but there are websites where they don't make any money. You don't pay them a monthly fee, but they will come to you and say, hey, this studio is looking at using your song for this film. This mm. is how much money you would get. This is how much cut we would take for organizing it. Mm. Do you agree? Done. You know, let's just throw a number out there. They could say, hey, it's a $10,000 sync and we're going to take $2,500. You'll get $7,500. Mm. Do you agree? If that's your first sync, you're probably going to go, hell yeah, I'll you take it. You know what? People are so afraid of giving away stuff because they don't think they're going to do any better songs later on. And I think that's, if you can't do better songs than the latest song, you should get out of here. Literally. If you can't put the bar higher every time you do a song, you shouldn't be doing this because that's the name of the game. At least in my opinion, when I listen back to stuff I've done two years ago, I would never done those choices, but I can hear that those choices are based on what I do now is based on the choices I've done then and, and how that sounded and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's, that's perfect. The, the second part of that question, once again, we're assuming the question was either about sync yeah. or about your playlist. So for the people that are tuned in that have a song that they feel would be a good fit for your playlist, let's give them some steps and tell them what you're looking for, number one, and then how they could potentially get it to you. Okay, so just a bit of background again. So one of the great things about running a playlist and collecting music that way is that you constantly look for new music and you enjoy, at least I do, enjoy that process of finding something that nobody else has found. Or it doesn't matter really, but something that's unique. And I think that's one of the key thing with my playlist. I try to find something unique. If your track sounds like Kygo, I don't want to listen to it. If your track sounds like any other tropical house song, I really don't want to hear it. And to me, again, it's about uniqueness. And I think that kind of reflects a little in the playlist as well, that there are not two tracks that are the same. There are not many tracks that could go in the Lean Back playlist. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that track, Lean Back, but it's to me, it's, it's the kind of song you just want to go back and do other stuff to. I think the music should be slightly more aggressive and, and talk to people in a way. Obviously, the, the, the genre that I'm in is, is, is kind of house, deep house land. So it's 120, around 120 mark, up to 128. If it's quicker than that, it's too quick for the playlist. And that, that's the kind of similarity, as we talked before, with the, with the live set. I say very often, does this, does this song help the playlist? I mean, does this song make the playlist any better? And if it doesn't, it probably won't get into the playlist. So I, I've set up um, a submission form through my Facebook. So anyone can submit and tell me something about the song. That goes into an Excel form on Google. 
and I go in there once a week, more or less. Now, uh, I get 200 submissions a week, and this is not my main kind of job, if you like. So the, the creation is, is honestly very quick. Uh, I probably spend a few seconds on every song, and, and what I do is first look at the title. If the title is not unique or unique, I'd spend more time on it. If maybe the artwork is showing something unique, that, that can pull you in. Um, and then I skip around the song to hear if, if what the song is about. And, and that's how much time I'll probably spend, for, I guess, five seconds, 10 seconds. I don't know. It sounds like a very short amount of time, but it actually does not take more time to at least do the first filtering. So once I've done through all the songs, I put like 10 songs, 20 songs, depending on, on the submissions, into my inbox, my infamous inbox. <laughs> <laughs> And it might stay in that inbox for a week or two even because that inbox is what I listen to when I drive, when I do other stuff. And then I find that I have more time that I can spend listening through the entire song and, and see what it's, what it's about. Do I feel it still? And if I do, I, I add it to, to a playlist. And if I don't, I just delete it again. So people ask for feedback. It's literally impossible to do to give feedback to everybody it will just kill my week but that's kind of the short story of how you know tracks get into my playlist i mean there's definitely loads of people who come straight to my dm and, and pitch songs and mike we could talk forever about those because <laughs> they are all shades of rudeness and they assume that you know you're sitting there doing just this which you really don't so what I'd normally do with people who contact me directly is, is reply with the submission link so people can go and submit it. Like, thank you for let, thank you for sending me this song. Please submit your music here. And I, I mean, just imagine you're, you're on a bus or you're on a private conversation, you're on a dinner and, and you see your Instagram is red light, you know, got a number. You, you want to see it, see what it is. And, and some people really get annoyed that I don't listen to it right away. I don't know. That's probably their world. They, that's where they come from. But please consider the receiver and consider that I'm most likely not able to listen at that point, but I will. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because one thing that we need to remember is that when you're sending that DM, especially even more so than an email, you're going into that person's space, sometimes their personal profile. Yeah. You're not making money from curating this playlist. Not at all. You have a job. You have many things that you do outside of this. And also with time zone differences, it's very unlikely that somebody is going to send you a DM and get you at exactly the right time. So they need to know that, hey, when Simon comes back, this will be a short, sweet message for him. <laughs> and I'm going to respect his face. I know what you mean. And I, I don't want to start talking about too much on the negatives, but obviously just keeping in mind that that person you're messaging is a real person. They have a bunch of other things going on. You don't know necessarily what's happening in their life at that exact moment either. Mm -hmm. So um, you just need to be careful of that. And most importantly, I mean, I'm sure you can you can speak to this as well, but when I get a message that I can tell it's personalized. So they've actually listened to the playlist first mm -hmm. and they know that their song would be a good fit. Yeah. You know, that really shows. And if they're right, then they've got my attention, you know, and even if I don't necessarily 
place or do anything with that song. The way that they've approached and and the fact that they've done their research, I'm more likely to check their next message sooner. Don't put the fucking URL into the first message. It's as simple as that. Don't do that. Ask first, is it okay that I send you a song? And if that's the approach, it's more likely to get yes than that you just send a song. Absolutely. I'm really glad you mentioned that. As, I'm glad you mentioned all of this. It's it's like it's like talking into a mirror sometimes with a slightly different accent. Exactly that. Some of the best interactions, because I mean, I submit music to independent third-party curators as well. Hmm. And some of the best interactions have been a very short message where there's no link, just simply asking, is there a way that I can send you music? What's your process? And I'll happily follow it. Hmm. People were so appreciative of that and so grateful. Hmm. And the fact that they can come back to you and say, look, please don't send it to my email. My email is a mess. I ask everyone to do submissions from this form. And I listen to them in the order they're submitted. So if you stop what you're doing and submit right now, you're going to hear from me. Well, you, you're going to potentially see something sooner. I'll, I'll tell you, Mike, yeah. how, how easy it is. So what I do, I take all the URIs from the submission forms, the Excel, Yep. and cut and paste that straight into a new playlist. And that takes all the tracks that are submitted into one playlist. So there's no cutting and pasting. I, I literally go through that playlist that are the 100 to 200 songs every week. I think that's the best way. And like you said, you're listening to it in order. As long as they've included the correct link, most importantly, you're going to be able to hear it. If they don't give you the Spotify URI or a URL, then you're not necessarily going to hear it because it won't translate into that playlist for you to to listen to. True. We got more questions. Woohoo! I do apologize if I pronounce your name incorrectly. I know we've spoken before, but I'm going to attempt here. So Druva has a question. What is the secret source of success for the UK and US music industry? I can take one approach and it ties into, actually it ties into the playlist. It ties into what I do. It ties into my music production. And it's one kind of aha moment that I found when I, Actually, I, I did some, I got some lessons, not lessons, but online course with Mike Monday. I can recommend doing that. It's kind of, it's more open your eyes. So mikemonday.com, I guess. So what he's teaching is that if your track is unique, you're going to have no competition. If your track sounds like something else, you're going to have so much competition, you wish you should die. So, well, <laughs> no, it's not that bad, but you get the idea. I mean, so... The other thing is that if you try to sound like someone else, you will not succeed and you're going to be so disappointed with yourself and you're just going to be miserable. So my learning from that time is try to listen to yourself, work really quickly, get your ideas down quickly because then your shoulder devil would not interrupt you and you are not starting stuff, sending stuff via Facebook to people and say, can you listen to this? What do you think? No, trust yourself. When, when people send me mixes and stuff, they go, can you tell me what you think about this mix? And the only thing I can tell is that if you like it, that's the way it should be. So my point is trying to listen to yourself because nobody's like you. If you listen to yourself and your ideas, that's going to be unique. Nobody's thinking like you do. And that's how you're going to succeed. And and that's honestly what's happened to my music the last year. All my BBC radio plays are from songs that I trusted myself, no one else, and I just 
pushed it through and said, this is how this song should be. Uh, yeah, I've got A&R saying you might cut the intro and stuff, but that's not a vital part of the song. It's more packaging. But point is, trying to don't force uniqueness, but at least force listening to yourself rather than <laughs> someone else. And if the kick drum is the way you like it, that's the way it should be. I don't know if you answered the question, but <laughs> I feel so strongly about it. And I feel the same way when I create my playlist. When I hear something unique, I go, yeah, there's a person behind it. There's something, there's an identity here. That's what I want to do. Yeah, that's important as well. You know, we've talked about numbers before, but on average, 40,000 songs getting uploaded just to Spotify every day. It's safe to say a large number of those are electronic songs. Um, there's going to be a significant number of that included in the mix. Yeah. You really do need to be unique. The last thing you want is to listen to 200 deep house songs that all sound exactly the same. Even and those same. little things that you add in there that just make you unique and make you stand out. Yeah. Uniqueness, please. Yes. And d diversity in general as a producer, what I love you know, about um, your productions is that not every track is exactly the same. Not every track is 124 beats per minute and, you know, a groovy beach house track. I mean, you've switched it up. You've done some stuff that, I say this respectfully, almost crosses over into pop music as well. Well, I've, I've, I come from the pop music side, so it's I, I love using, obviously I, I love using all those elements that you can in, a, in, in music production and, and music writing because, I know how effective they are, and it, it really doesn't matter the genre to me. I try to force it in so I can play it in the club. That's that's my criteria for my own music. But I know that lyrical lyrical elements are so effective. In fact, so much that I believe that the title in any genre is the most single most important thing in a song. And I can argue that for hours if you like. <laughs> no, but seriously, that's the peak of the song. That's what you build up. For. that's what you want people to remember that's what you want people to type when they search your song on spotify or or youtube or wherever that's the the name the identity of the song if the song is called i love you i've heard that before i don't want to hear it again so i mean if there's a new way of saying something that people can relate to that's a good title and actually many of my songs are written title first wow even before you would bring on a singer-songwriter there's yeah. any vocals of any kind. You've already got a song title. Yeah. Wow. And that comes from, you know, it's actually a country way of writing, but I love that sort of approach. I can tell you short why. The, the, the brain's got two parts, one that create images, one that listen to music. To be unique in music is so hard. To be unique in lyric is way easier, way, way easier. And if you manage to combine imagery and titles with your music, then you've got a very strong connection. Wow. And that's any genre. <laughs> what an interesting approach. That's so <laughs> different. It's true, though. A lot of people have argued recently that artwork isn't important anymore. And I say it's more important than ever. I mean, I used to use artwork as a way of quickly scrolling down the charts to look for that artwork on the left-hand side because I could spot the artwork quicker than I could read the song titles. Mm. And it was a very manual process. Obviously, there's a lot of tools and services out there that can do that for you now, and we'll probably get to that shortly. But artwork was a way of standing out and quickly identifying your song visually. Mm. And also, I mean, if somebody 
with DJ promo as well, when you would get a track, the first thing that you would see when you would open that email or you would log in is you would see the artwork. Yeah. And that's before you even press play. I've never avoided listening to a song because of the artwork, but it's definitely not getting my attention in the right way. I think artwork is important. I And more importantly, I love seeing original artwork. If you feel that going and getting a royalty-free image for your artwork is clever and nobody else is doing it, go and get that royalty-free image, go to Google Image Search, upload it, and mm. see how many people have used it and where. I mean, you'll be shocked. I went to do it one time with a release, uploaded the artwork, took a look. There would have been at least 10 songs within the same genre of music using yeah. that exact same artwork. Was that a girl on the beach for the sunset, by the way? <laughs> no, but ser serious, I, I think you should use every kind of method possible to get people into the mood of the song as quickly as possible to get them to get interest in your song, to get them to want to hear your song. And I got this in the face in a, in a meeting in, with an A&R in LA, and I brought in a CD with six songs, and he went, I want to hear that song. Wow. And that was just from title. And that was like a pop A&R. Now, that song was called Sleeping With A Light On. So obviously, <laughs> what the fuck is this song about? <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it's that sort of, even I think I've read some interview with, I can't remember who it was, but with production, if there's a song about a theme, if the song is about win, start with a bloody win so you get people into that mood. Yeah. If it's about war, start with a fucking war drum or a trumpet or something, you know, something that sets the mood straight away. You don't have many seconds to get people into a mood. If the artwork helps people getting into the mood, do it. Yeah. It's funny, you kind of mentioned what I wanted to touch on next as well, which is you mentioned earlier between five to ten seconds is how long you could spend with a song before you know if it's worth listening any longer than that. Mm. Obviously, to talk about what I look for when I listen to a song, I press play and listen to the first five to ten seconds, of course, mm. but then I also skip to the middle. Yep. And then I also skip near the end as well. Hmm. And if I like what I'm hearing in those sections, I'll go back and listen to the song in its entirety. But most importantly, if that first five, 10 seconds is there's silence at the start mm -hmm. or there's a long held note that doesn't just really go anywhere, <laughs> or it's probably not going to fit on a playlist that does music, music, music. Yeah. So while that might be cool on your album, mm. you just need to remember that that could be a reason why some people are skipping past your track oh, instead definitely. of adding it. And as painful as that is to say, there are curators out there where you could give them a great track. They could love it, but you have a 10-second intro where it's somebody talking or something like that and they just can't have that in the middle of their playlist because people will leave that playlist and then that that means less listens for the rest of the artists on that playlist and people may, may not come back to that playlist again. So, Mike, I went to a songwriter conference some years yeah. back and there were about 1,000 people in the room. They screened music live in front of the audience and asked the audience to start clapping when they've heard enough. <laughs> wow. And that was really painful because most of the songs didn't even get to the vocal. So I have a bunch of friends around, 
make a list of 200 songs. You're going to have to get through that in one hour. Clap when you heard enough. <laughs> well, I haven't clapped yet, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, that <laughs> it's funny. It, it it's um, that's Sorry. actually a really polite way of saying I'm done with this. Yeah, <laughs> just it reminds me of award shows where they start giving their speech and yeah. they start rambling on and on. The music starts fading up and the crowd just start clapping and, and then the clapping overpowers them and they're off stage. Yeah. Imagine that happening with your song, like you said, five seconds in, oh, 10 seconds in, yeah. 15, 20. I mean, just imagine New Music Friday. You're on the bus, you got 10 minutes to get to work. You're skipping through New Music Friday to find some new music. That's the reality. And all the noise that's coming in through DMs, through wherever you are, if you don't get people right away, you miss them. Exactly. Thanks for the comment there, Druva. <laughs>